0: Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. Well, before we do get started, I do want to let you know this program's brought to you in part by the financial support of our listeners. And I want to thank Kate so much for her support. You can support the show at support.greatdetectives.net and you can also become a regular monthly uh, supporter of the show at patreon.greatdetectives.net. Well, now it's time for today's episode of The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, the original air date, March the 7th of 1950, and the title, The Monkey's Uncle.
1: Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gutter of the prison of the grave. This time I tangled with a mad Scotchman, a phony English lord, and a beautiful blonde corpse in a freight house, all because of a butler who walked on his knuckles. It happened like this.
2: From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Monkey's Uncle.
1: Hello. Mr.
3: Philip Marlowe, please. It's very important.
1: This is Marlowe
3: office at this late hour, Mr. Marlowe. I must have your help at once. Right. Cornelius' life is in danger, man, and time means everything. Now, sir. Oh, wait a
1: minute, if you'll wait a minute. Directly... Who are you? Who's Cornelius? Where are you calling from and about what? Let's have it a slow step at a time, huh? Aye.
3: My name's Wesley Macduff, Mr. Marlowe. All
1: right, lead on, McDuff.
3: I'm calling from a telephone booth opposite the Beekman Plaza Hotel on Hollywood Boulevard where. Hmm? Ashley Duke. Ashley who? Going for the Beekman Plaza. Lord Ashley Duke himself, across the street. Oh, I've got Let's... to get to him. Mr. Marlowe, hurry. Meet me in the hotel lobby. Yes, but... month. We've got to stop them. They're going to kill Cornelius.
1: My first reaction was to forget the whole thing. But curiosity is strong stuff with me. Any triumvirate labeled Wesley MacDuff, Lord Ashley Duke, and Cornelius had to add up the screwball no matter where it started. But the word kill was still big in my vocabulary, so... I buttoned the office up quickly, got down in my car, and drove over to the Beekman Plaza Hotel, where a ten-minute stand in the lobby produced nothing closer to worried Scotchman than the plaid covering in a sagging Morris chair. And at the reception desk, there was no Wesley McDuff registered or ever heard of. I'm sorry, sir. So at that, I was ready to call it quits. I turned for the door, but before I got there, I was stopped. The uniform said bellhop, and the sprinkle of freckles plus barn cowlick said all-American boy but the shifty eyes and the narrow mouth that slid over to the side of his face when he talked said something else, like racetrack tough.
4: Say, uh, pardon me, sir, but uh, I happened to overhear you ask after a Scotchman. Uh, Wesley McDuff, was it?
1: Yeah, you know where he is?
4: Well, uh, yes, and, uh...
1: Yes, and, uh, how much? Ten? Five.
4: Okay, sport, five. Mm. But let's get out of the traffic, huh? Over here, under this map, like I was pointing out something to you.
1: That's yeah, a fresh idea, yeah.
4: Thanks. Uh, the viva...
1: Oh, here. Now, uh, where's MacDuff?
4: On his way to Burbank, dead drunk.
1: You're crazy. I talked to him less than half an hour ago. He was stone sober and a long way from the party mood.
4: Mm, could be. But 15 minutes ago, I helped Lord Ashley Duke pile him into a cab. Wait a minute,
1: wait a minute. Ashley Duke, how does he fit?
4: Uh, he found this McDuff in the alley outside. Oh. I was just coming back from dinner when I saw him pick the guy up. He couldn't say a word. Huh? But a Blue Shield medical card we found in his wallet read, Wesley MacDuff, 13 Vineland Avenue, Burbank. Boy, he was out colder than my old man. <laughs> yeah, yeah and now
1: listen, call. Junior, here's another five. Fill me in fast. Who's Lord Ashley Duke?
4: A nightclub character, entertainer. Lives here with his wife, uh, Lady Ashley Duke, when they're in L.A. Well,
1: this, um, is he legitimate, this Lord business?
4: Nah, nah, but he plays it to the hilt. Why, after we piled that Macduff end of the cab, he dusted his white gloves off genteel-like, slipped the monocle he wears into his eye, and grabbed another cab and shoved. Mm. He's a phony. His real name is Bert Dukes, and my lady is Gert. And on her it shows. What do you mean, shows? That the second she gets behind her door, uh, they got Sweet 312, she climbs out of her accent like it was a tight girdle. Oh. Especially when she and that niece of hers go at it. Uh, uh, yes, sir, the famous Merrimack Caverns are on Route 66 near St. Louis. Oh, good evening, Mr. Fisher. Good evening, Tom
1: Okay, where were we? The niece, the niece. Oh,
4: yeah. Quite a doll. Her name's Merle Brimmer. Acts as a business manager, so she must also have brains. Now tell
1: me, who's Cornelius? Cornelius. Yeah. <laughs> What's breaking you up? Who is he?
4: Nobody but the star of the act. The Lord and Lady do a farce thing, uh, a takeoff on English drawing room stuff, and Cornelius plays the butler. Plays it in a derby and a boiled shirt, no less.
1: Why the giggles? You've seen a derby and boiled shirt before?
4: Yeah, yeah, sure I have. But on Cornelius, it looks different. You see, Mister, he's a chimpanzee.
1: <laughs> the affair Cornelius definitely added screwball. But I also knew the prospective client Macduff had been sapped and piled into a cab for good riddance, which could add to less than funny. So I decided to look around a little longer, especially in the vicinity of Milady's chamber number three twelve. When I stepped out of the elevator on the third floor, an owl-faced waiter was just piloting a dinner cart loaded down with dirty dishes out of the room, and when the cart joggled onto the corridor rug, it nearly upset a coffee pot. Which left the waiter's mind on the juxtaposition of cod and pot and not the door. It he'd left open inches. I waited till he passed me. Then I moved up to where I could both see and hear Lady Ashley Duke and her niece Merle exploding at each other through an after dinner conversation. The former was built like an upended blimp with as much charm as a mooring mast. The latter was blonde and female, spy beautiful. And also, she was nonchalantly slipping a shiny 32 automatic from desk drawer to purse.
5: Oh, now, wait a minute, Kurt. Before you snap a stay, you listen to me. Why, so you can explain once more how poor Uncle Bert's idiotic mistakes are just bad luck. Ten thousand bucks worth of bad luck. Nuts. Bert don't know anything about investments. He shouldn't be allowed to touch a red cent and my pretty from here on out that's exactly the way it's gonna be believe me oh cut it Gerton. quit blaming uncle Bert and me are you kidding why shouldn't i blame the two of you he's a jerk and you i never wanted you with us in the first place my niece (laughs) oh shut up and remember dear aunt your husband likes me around i'm good for his morale he says he'll never let you fire me so don't waste your breath auntie get out of here go on get down to the freight house and keep your eyes open we don't want to lose Cornelius. Don't worry, darling. Guard duty's an old specialty of mine. Yes, who is it?
1: Name's Marlowe. I'd like to see Lord Ashley Duke.
5: Oh, well, I... Oh, well. Wow. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> He's not in, but what did you want to see him about?
1: Oh, uh, business. Can you help me?
5: Perhaps. You see, I'm his oh, business... She used to be his business manager. She was just leaving, weren't you, Merle, darling? Yes, Merle, darling, was. Mr. Marlowe, Lady Ashley Do. Goodbye, Auntie.
1: Unhappy, huh?
5: Oh, rather... Uh, now, sir, to save each other's time, let me be blunt. Lord Ashley Duke is no longer interested in making any investments whatsoever, nor will he be interested at a future date. Is that clear, sir? It's
1: yes, like well water, Lady Ashley Duke, and if I were looking for an investor, I'd keep it in mind. But you see, I'm a private detective working for Wesley McDuff.
5: A paper! A lousy paper pushing his way uh-uh, in here. While you're... easy,
1: easy, Gertie.
5: Let go! Get your filthy hands off of me!
1: Sure. Just as soon as you get back in a neutral... <gasps> I also want to save us time, and I want to save Cornelius, too. How do we talk or wrestle, which?
5: Oh, all right. Seven weeks ago, Lord Ashley Duke and I bought Cornelius from that crazy monkey raiser out in Burbank. We paid McDuff $30,000 for a run down 17 year old chimpanzee.
1: Well, then why do you want to kill him? McDuff thinks you're going to. Yeah,
5: McDuff's crazy. Just because we change our minds and instead of staying here in L.A., decide to go on the road, McDuff thinks Cornelius will catch cold and die. So he wants him back.
1: Yeah, but you'll get your money back.
5: Yeah. But what about the seven weeks of work just to teach him to drop a glass? Not only that, he's a wonderful imitator.
1: I can see your point.
5: Besides, a deal's a deal. And we're taking the risk of Cornelius' death, not the loon who runs that Burbank animal farm. Why, that Scotchman thinks every animal in the joint's related to him.
1: <laughs> it's an old idea, honey. But look, Lady Ask Ash...
5: what. We've had our talk, people. Now get out. Go on. Go on. Get out before I forget I'm, uh... A lady. Call for Mr. Marlowe.
4: Mr. Philip Marlowe. Call for Mr. Marlowe. Over here, Tompkins. What is it? A telephone call, sir. Booth four, this way, please. Make out all right up there?
1: Jim Dandy.
4: Good. Now, uh, if you feel I was underpaid. I you're... feel we came
1: out even, Buster. Besides, I'm running low on farthings. Unless. Uh... Yes. You know where the freight house Cornelius calls home is located.
4: Uh uh-uh. uh. Blank.
1: Okay. So long, Tompkins. Hello?
3: Mr. Marlowe?
1: Yeah. Yeah! Yeah, you all right, Macduff?
3: Hey, it takes more than a foul blow in the dark to stop me, man. And it's just what Lord Ashley Duke is going to discover in many minutes. What do you mean? That I've run out of patience. I'm going to act, not talk. I'm about to take Cornelius back with my own hands, and I want you to help me. Oh, now, wait a now, minute. look, Listen. man. I'm in a drug store at Pershing Square, close by the freight house where Cornelius is caged for shipment. I want you wait, to But You me. can't
1: steal him, Macduff.
3: Ah, oh, hi, I can. Steal him and disguise the animal so they'll ne'er be able to claim him again.
1: So they won't be able to kill him. But Macduff, I can't go along with that.
3: Then I chose the wrong man. Oh. precious little time left, Mr. Marlowe. Tomorrow they leave Los Angeles. Now,
1: will you help me? No. Besides Macduff, you'll never get away with it. There's a girl, Ashley Duke's niece, who's got a gun, and I... McDuff. McDuff! All the way from the phone booth through the lobby into my car outside, I kept telling myself three things. One, I wasn't working for McDuff. Two, McDuff was about to commit a crime. And three, I couldn't worry about the gun in Merle Brimmer's purse. It was all none of my business. So when I was in behind the wheel of my car, I pointed it toward my apartment on Franklin, lit a cigarette, and forgot about the whole thing. But a block later, I threw the cigarette out, turned, and headed for Pershing Square. Scots with animal farms in Burbank obviously weren't the only crazy people in Los Angeles. After arriving at Pershing Square, I was 30 minutes piling up wisecracks, frozen stairs, and assorted giggles before I hit pay dirt. A bottle boy with a great memory.
6: Yeah, sure, I know the place. Only spot around, it'll ship live animals along with <clears throat> the rest of the stuff that they handle. Anything from an eel to an elephant.
1: How about pink ones? You got those, too. That's what I thought.
6: Yeah, I worked there once during, <clears throat> during the Christmas rush. Made the price of a fifth, in one day... Now,
1: I... look, look, you'll do it again right now if you can tell me one thing. The address, what is it?
7: Uh, it's, uh... Um, yeah? 44... 404... Come on, come on. Forty-two... Stick with it. uh, Fourth
3: Street. (laughs) Boy.
1: Here's five. Crawl back in the bottle. I'll see you. The neighborhood was half residential, half industrial, and all run down. Including the freight house, which was two windowless stories of dirty red brick hovering over a loading ramp on a deserted, shadowy street. I started slowly toward it when suddenly a side door flew open and an excited old man with flashlight and giant key ring that spelled Night Watchman leaped out of the building, arms and legs, going like twin beaters on a mixmaster.
2: Help me! I can't catch him myself! Hey! Hey, Pop!
6: Hold it! Is it the chimp?
2: Yes! And he's raising the roof in there. Yeah? If I shoot him, I'll be fired. He's worth a fortune. Yeah, I
1: know all about it. Come on, I'll give you a hand.
2: Okay, Good.
1: Well, let's go. Where is he?
2: Upstairs, hanging in one window at the back. I just turned the lights on, and there he was. When he seen me, he grabbed a stick from the floor and started beating things with it. Oh, fine. And then he broke the window and began to swing on the block and tackle. He runs outside from the roof to the ground. Look, there he is.
1: Yeah, still beating... Hey, stop,
6: Pop. He's going to fling it.
2: There he goes. Down the roof.
1: And away. Well, all right, Pop. We better call the cops.
2: Over there. Near his empty cage. It's a girl. Blood all over her head.
1: Holy smoke. Merle Brimmer. She did. Yeah. Beat to death with a stick the chimp just threw at us.
7: Then, then you think the monkey did it?
1: I don't know. Maybe yes, maybe no. He's a great imitator, Pop. It could have been somebody else.
7: Not the monkey? Then who? Who else?
1: The monkey's uncle. A Scotchman named Macduff.
2: Just a moment, the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first, Groucho Marx will make another of his famed personal appearances on most of the same CBS stations this Wednesday night. Groucho Marx, whose many activities include emceeing You Bet Your Life, one of the craziest quiz shows on the air. You're cordially invited to hear Groucho Marx every Wednesday on CBS. Now with our star, Gerald Moore, we return to the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story, The Monkey's Uncle.
1: I walked around the body of the girl on the freight house floor. I took a close look at the cage lock. There was no doubt that it had been forced from the outside. The watchman staring down at the body was shaking like a motorcycle with square wheels. So I took him by the arm and walked him down the stairs and outside for some air.
7: It's it's terrible. I don't know what to do. Nothing like this ever happened here before. And the boss never told me what I'm supposed to do in a case like this. Well, it's I easy.
1: Don't... Just call the police.
7: The police? Yeah.
1: Also the SPCA and Frank Buck. Chances are we'll need them all before the night's over.
7: Okay, Mr. Sanks. Hey, who's that getting out of that cab?
1: From the top hat cape and spats, I'd say it was one Lord Ashley Duke, the legal owner of the chimp.
6: Oh, what are you two blighters staring at? Out of my way. Uh, Just a
1: moment, just a moment, before you go inside.
6: I want to talk to you, Lord Ashley Duke. Eh? You know my name, do you? Well, now, my job, that's interesting. I don't know you, sir. I'll survive. Why'd you come down here tonight? Because I heard that my niece was here protecting my property. And that's no suitable task for a girl. Not capable to do that sort of thing, you know. It's a man's job, you know. I had a beastly time finding the place, too. You haven't been
1: here before, huh?
6: Oh, yes, yes. A couple of days ago. But that, that, that was in broad daylight. Uh, now, stand aside, One sir. thing more.
1: Hmm? Why did you slug Wesley McDuff tonight and dump him in a cab? Just who are you, anyway? Private detective Philip Marlowe's
6: name. Mm-hmm. Sounds British enough. About as British as you are. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And you, I presume, are the watchman.
7: Yes, sir. That's me, your highness. What
6: about
1: Macduff, your highness? There's
6: no choice. The blighter wanted to welch on the transaction we have made. I refused and he threatened me. So I mopped him. And then <laughs> made out he was intoxicated, you know. Packed him off in a cabin. Oh, <laughs> oh, uh... <Yeah>. Nevertheless, <clears throat> when a man sells me a monkey... By George, that monkey is mine. thought that treatment might bring Macduff to his bloody senses.
1: Well, it didn't. It made him tougher. And what's more, the chimpanzee is gone and...
6: Cornelius is gone. Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Come on, Pop. okay. Merle. Merle, dear. Where are you? Merle? What? Merle? Merle, what's happened to him? Oh, no. Merle. Merle, baby. Uh,
7: That's the way she was when we found her. And that crazy monkey was in here just jumping up and down like he was
2: throwing a fit.
6: It was McDuff. McDuff, that's who it was. That madman.
7: Holy mackerel, what was that? I don't
6: know,
1: but I'm going to find out. You stay here. The scream had come from the architectural blunder next door. It was one of those big gingerbread houses left over from the 1800s, and I got there just in time to meet the witch. The scaly front portal was jerked open in front of me, and there she stood. Like a pool cue in high panic top by a head of brittle orange hair, half done up tight and curled, the other half streaming over her face. She clutched frantically at the stained kimono with one hand and me with the other. One. Take it easy. Hold it, will you? What's going on?
5: Oh, oh, that face, that awful face. What face? The ugliest thing I've ever seen. Oh, protect me. It's upstairs. All right, now. take it easy. Oh, will you, you calm down me. and tell me what happened? I was upstairs in my room taking my yeah. hair out when I happened to look over at the window, and there was that face shoved right up against the glass. Oh, I swear I never seen nothing like that since before I took the cure, mister. All right, now listen, and I... hair all over it, red eyes and big grinning mouth. What was like one of them giant gorillas they got in the movie. That's
1: Cornelius, all right. Where's the room?
5: Oh, up there at the head of them stairs. Oh. Hey, you ain't going up there and leave me all alone, I... Well,
1: then come along. Cornelius, a trained chimp, he won't hurt you.
5: Oh, no, not me, brother. i didn't. Getting... Ah, it's Where? Where? i right stuck on his tongue and made a face at me.
1: Tell me, is that a passage out oh. there between the houses? Oh,
5: no, no. It's a kind of an air shaft, only it's closed up at the base. Oh, you mean he can't
1: get through to the alley? Yeah,
5: yeah, that's right. There's no way out of there except the street. All
1: right, come on. Let's get outside. We got him cornered. <laughs> oh, you
5: got him cornered, baby, mister. Not me. I don't want nothing more to do with that ugly puss.
1: The air shaft was a scant 18 inches wide and as dark and cluttered as the inside of a goat pen with odors to mash. I worked my way back as far as the bashful light from the street reached.
5: Oh, be careful in there, mister. And then
1: I stopped and listened. But Cornelius was a genius. There wasn't a sound. and I couldn't see my hand in front of my face to say nothing of a black-haired chimpanzee who was no doubt getting a big kick out of the entire procedure. I decided to try psychology on him. So I called in what I hoped was a firm but friendly voice and it got me no place. I groped my way along the wall of the drainpipe and called again. This time shorter on the friendly and longer on the firm, which was a mistake. The drain pipe should have given me a hint, but it didn't. Oh! Oh,
5: oh. what was what? What's the matter? He's gone.
1: Hold who? Who, who's got
5: that gorilla? It, it was up on the drain drainpipe. It hit you on the head with something, then ran right past me and got away in a taxi. Oh, come on, let's get out. Oh, wait a, a minute, wait,
1: wait a minute, baby. I, I could have sworn you said the the monkey took a taxi.
5: Yeah, you did. I watched the whole oh, thing. My. As soon as it got out in the street, a man in a checkered tan with a crooked stick in his hand came out from between them buildings over there and called it. Uh-huh. They ran up to a taxi. The driver jumped out and they drove away. I seen him.
1: The driver jumped out and they drove away. Yeah. I don't think you took the cure soon enough.
5: Well, I seen something else, too. Huh? A fat breed in a high hat and spats came charging out of the freight house yeah. there. Saw the cab leaving, got in a green coat that green was parked coupe. in front and took off. Holy smoke,
1: it. that's my car. You, oh, it's gone. How do you like that?
5: Yeah. Now maybe you believe me, huh?
1: Every screwy word, sweetheart. Now look, you didn't happen to see
7: driver there. Did anybody see what happened? I gotta have a witness. My taxi was hijacked off of me by two crazy guys. One of them looked like an ape, exactly like an ape.
1: Move over, bud. We're on the same raft. My car's gone, too. Tell me what happened. Will you start at the top?
7: Okay. Tonight I bring this big shot in a high hat down here to the freight house. He hops out, tells me to wait, see? Yeah. So I drive down the block and turn around. I, I, I'm parked right over there, trying to grab a quick 40 winks. When up comes this loon. A Scotchman? Yeah. That's him. Yeah. He throws me a fast address and starts getting in, see? I politely tell him the flag is down, but he keeps coming. You see, it's just yeah, like Yeah, yeah, I,
1: I know, do. it's just like it. Now, look, did you ever see this Scotchman before?
7: No, never. I figure maybe he's got a snoot full of happy days, nothing more. Uh-huh. So I'm reaching over to block him when a pair of hands that feels like a doormat with muscles mm. grabs me around the neck. I twist around and look, and what do I see?
1: Cornelius.
7: Him I don't know, but an ape man is crawling in my wing. So help me, I'm rubbing noses with a missing link.
1: Yeah, I know. Then what happened?
7: Mac, I jump out of the taxi, and before I know it, the old geezer gives me a clout with his stick, piles in, the next thing my taxi's gone just like that. You gotta believe me, somebody's gotta back me up. Mm-hmm. If I try this on the cops, they'll have me in a padded cell in no time. Well,
1: Don't worry about it, fella. Just reach hard for that address the Scotchman gave you. Can you remember it?
7: Oh, sure. Uh, let me see, it was the uh, the... Uh, the Rushmore. Rushmore. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, a down at the heels motel out on Vernon. Yeah. Somewhere around uh, Beverly Boulevard. Ed Mason's... Oh, you stepped on something here on this sidewalk.
5: Oh, you sure did, cutie. smashed it, too.
1: It looks like somebody's watch crystal.
5: Sure, ladies' lady's watch crystal. Oh, a nice one. See, it had this hunk of black ribbon with it.
1: Ladies what? Hey, wait a minute. Let me see that.
5: Sure, here. It's velvet, see? Yeah,
1: yeah, it sure is. It doesn't fit, not here. No one's been here but the three of us and the chimp... So long, kids. Hey, hey, wait, where are
7: you going? I'm going to talk to a
1: liar about a murder. I'll see you later at headquarters, I hope. But what about my taxi? Talk to the night watchman in the freight house. You'll be good for each other. (laughs) I was two blocks on foot finding another taxi in 15 minutes getting from there out to the motel, worrying all the way because I'd left my gun under the front seat of my car. Business was slow at the Rushmore. The only cabin that showed a light was the last in the rear next to the alley. I was sure of what I'd find inside. In spite of the fact that neither the stolen cab nor my coupe was any place in sight. When I heard the voices, I decided to bluff it. I went up to the front door and pressed my ear against the flimsy panel.
6: Anyway, a bargain's a bargain, MacDuff. You'd have done better to stick by it. I'd
3: have stick by it if ye had your scurvy crook.
6: Ah, don't reach for your chain. It's a little late for that. You're in a real jam now. I'm going to see you blamed for my niece's murder.
3: But I did not kill her. I pushed her down, I. She caught me unlocking Cornelia's cage and tried to stop me. But I did not kill her. You did that.
6: Yes, yes, but who knows that except you and the monk there. And he can't talk, and you won't believe me. Ah, you daft man. Why did you do it? Because I had to. Because Merle was bleeding me to death. Every cent I could lay my hands on. I had to buy her silence. I had to pretend to lose thousands in poor investments. Well... Burl got what was coming to her, and you gave me that chance. I found her on the floor where you left her and simply
3: finished the job. Then you ran off and came back in that taxi 15 minutes later, the very spirit of innocence. I saw you very well, Lord Ashley Duke. You've got me as a thief, too, so get on with it. Get on with your filthy evil plan. I'm ready. Don't be in a hurry,
1: McDuff. Stay where you are, Ashley. Don't bother turning around. Just drop the gun.
3: Oh, I knew you'd no let me down, laddie. I knew it. What's oh, this, old boy? It's rather an untimely hit.
6: Skip you know? the accent,
1: Bert. You won't need it where you're going. Drop that gun, I said.
6: Or you'll move. Shoot me with that pipe in your pocket. Marlowe, I've got your gun. Here in my hand, and you know it. Want a bit? Well, with the light out. Yes,
3: Ashley. Oh. oh! Oh. Oh. It's it's a very strange thing, lad. He hit you but once. Huh? But there are two lumps on your skull. You can this condition. Never
1: mind, skip it. I don't want to talk about it.
3: Go. Oh. Where's Ashley? Thrust up there in the corner. He should be coming around soon. You see, Cornelius, as you've no doubt learned, is a great imitator. When he saw Ashley bat you on the head with a gun, yeah. he grabbed McCain, leaped up on the dresser there, and batted Ashley on the head.
1: Oh, no, no, Not with this headache. Hey, Don't tell me I'm indebted to that. Just when I was learning to hate him. Aye, hey,
3: we both are. For our lives. Yeah. But tell me, what does a black velvet ribbon and a, a watch crystal mean? He mumbled that over and over while we, uh, you were out.
1: Oh. Well, that's how I knew Ashley was a liar and a killer. See, the cab driver stepped on a round piece of glass that looked like a watch crystal with a ribbon attached. Uh-huh. Happened on the sidewalk in front of an air shaft. Actually, the... Oh, actually, the glass was a monocle.
3: Oh, dropped by <sighs> Lord Ashley Duque.
1: Oh. No. Ashley'd never been at that spot. No? But if Cornelius had, and if Cornelius dropped the monocle, it indicated that... Lord Ashley Duke had been someplace with Cornelius early at night, you see. Ah. It could only be the freight house. Yet Ashley claimed he hadn't been there for two days.
3: Oh, I
1: see. Oh, you do, huh? Oh, my head. How about you, Cornelius? <laughs> yeah, well, that's one of the best answers I've had tonight. didn't take long at police headquarters, maybe an hour altogether. A killer was locked up for trial, and the key witness ate three erasers, spilled a quart of ink, and broke a window before the homicide boys finally gave up. <laughs> I watched the phony lord Ashley Duke walk down the corridor to his cell. Any connection he had with man was just the category. Then I watched MacDuff and company leave, too. A couple of regular guys. A monkey. The monkey's uncle. A genuine old Scott who loved life. And his shuffling friend whose only limitation was his inability to speak. But he communicated all right. In the only language that means anything. Love of one creature for another.
2: Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, are produced and directed by Norman McDonald and are written for radio by Robert Mitchell and Gene Leavitt. As a special note of interest, Philip Marlowe fans, you'll be glad to know that Radio and Television Life magazine has this week named Gerald Moore as the best male actor in radio. Featured in our cast were Mary Lansing, John Daner, Tudor Owen, Sam Edwards, Michael Ann Barrett, Harry Bartell, and Junius Matthews. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Orant. Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says...
1: This time a case-hardened car hop knocked me down a flight of stairs. An honest woman was strangled by a green silk sash and a simpering dandy was shot to death. All because of a run-of-the-mill traffic accident 500 miles away. <laughs>
2: You hear them all on CBS, and one of the funniest parts of that all comes from the bird brain of a woman, Miss Gracie Allen of Burns and Allen. Top troopers on the American stage for years, top radio stars after that. George and Gracie are now playing a big part in CBS's great Wednesday night lineup. Bing Crosby, Groucho Marx, George and Gracie, Doctor Christian, join George Burns and Gracie Allen this Wednesday night on most of the same CBS stations. This is Roy Rowan speaking. Now, stay tuned for Pursuit, which follows immediately over most of these same CBS stations. This is CBS, where Burns and Allen are heard every Wednesday night the Columbia Broadcasting System.
1: This is Andrew Ryan's with otrwesterns.com, where we stream live old-time radio westerns 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, with a special twist. You select the tracks that get to be played. We've got a thousand different episodes from shows like Gunsmoke, Tales of the Texas Rangers, Escape, Gene Autry, and many more. Come check us out at otrwesterns.com slash live. Again, that's otrwesterns.com live. You're listening to The Great Detectives of Old
0: Time Radio with Adam Graham. And now, let's get back into the show. Welcome back. Well, I have to say, one of the weakest uh, Scottish accents uh, over radio, that tended to be one that, to be fair, that they didn't do as well. Uh, But the award by Gerald Moore, definitely well-earned, brings a lot to the role. And certainly this role as uh, Philip Marlowe is uh, just a very powerful and uh, memorable uh, performance. Uh, Speaking of that, we do have some listener comments and feedback uh, regarding Ladies' Night. Natalie says, this is a terrific episode. Just loved it. Uh, Listened to it twice, in fact. And Francis says, love this episode. Well, I'm glad you uh, enjoyed it. And I hope uh, you'll be with us next week for another episode of The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. And, of course, tomorrow we have Nick Carter. uh, Though, in the meantime, if you do have a comment, send it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook facebook.com slash radiodetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.